0: It's good to see you guys, good to, good to be here this morning. I know uh, most of you are probably thinking, uh, man, Brent, you really let yourself go since last week, man. Uh, you're looking a little rough. Uh, uh, for those of you I don't know, my name is Nick Steineken. I'm one of the elder candidates here at the church. And uh, this morning I've been given the task ...of finishing up our series uh, regarding the church in Ephesus. Uh, Last week, Brent uh, finished up with Ephesians chapter 6 and talking about the armor of God. And uh, so this week, I have been tasked with uh, finishing the series with Jesus coming to the church... uh, ...and giving them some warning uh, from the book of Revelation... So this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in the first seven verses. And uh, I'm actually going to read the end of verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 20 as well to get a little context of what we're doing. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read and then we will pray and uh, we'll we will get going this morning. So I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 20. As for the mystery... Of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, that is Jesus, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Which is in the paradise of God this is god 's perfect infallible, and inerrant word. Would you pray with me this morning? God your word is is amazing it it, it opens us up it exposes us to ourselves to you. we thank you that you uh, by your grace have given this letter to us, this book of revelation to your church. We pray this morning that, that our ears would hear the warnings that you have given to this church and uh, that our, if we have a love that is dwindling for Jesus, that you would expose that and that you would draw us back to uh, loving our first love, Jesus. We pray that you give us ears to hear this morning. So I want to give a little introduction just regarding the book of Revelation. We're not going to study the whole book of Revelation, obviously, but I do think it is important to know about these letters. Uh, Jesus has come and is speaking to the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos in exile, and Jesus comes and he gives uh, these feedback, these prophetic words to these seven churches, Uh, these uh, these are real churches. We need we need to know that these are real churches. These are real people. These are real areas in Asia Minor at the time, and uh, Jesus comes to uh, to to show the churches what they're doing well, what they may be doing, where they may be uh, sinning, where they may be uh, have something that they're coming up short, but. Uh, ultimately this is uh, Jesus is being gracious to come and to speak to his churches. And so uh, he speaks to us this morning through through his word. Um, these are not, these these letters were meant, this whole book of Revelation was meant to be read in its entirety and circulated around the whole area of Asia Minor. This is not just for one church to read one chapter. This is a letter that is written to all of those churches to be circulated around, and it is for us too uh, this morning. So uh, I have, this morning I have five main points uh, that we're gonna walk through together, and it's gonna follow the pattern of each letter, each of the seven letters. Our first point this morning, I want us to look and see what Jesus says about himself. What does Jesus reveal to this church in Ephesus about himself. And there are four things that I believe in these first two verses that he uh, says about himself. So we'll, we'll read, uh, we'll actually just verse one, we'll read verse one again. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands, beginning of verse two, I know your works. The first The first way that Jesus reveals himself in this text is he reveals himself as a prophet. He reveals himself as the one true prophet. And we see that because of the way that he begins to address it says, the words of him. And this phrase, the words of him, it harkens back to Old Testament language, where uh, where a king might send a messenger to go and take a message to uh, another king or someone else, and that messenger would come, and they would say, "I am here in the name of." so-and-so, or I come in the name and say this in the name of king, whatever the king's name may be. And we actually see it in the Old Testament prophets as well. We see it uh, when, the, when a prophet would come to the people of Israel and uh, have a word from the Lord to give them, many times they would say something like, thus says the Lord, right? Thus says the Lord. And this, this word, this phrase, the words of him, it, it harkens back to that that Old Testament language. So uh, Jesus is revealing Himself to be a prophet, and we also see that it, back in chapter one, when John first receives the vision, when he first receives the vision of Jesus coming, Jesus is coming with a two-edged sword coming out of His mouth. Well. We know that in the in the New Testament, a two-edged sword is a reference to the truth, to God's word. And so, so it's a picture of Jesus coming to speak truth to his church. To speak truth to his church and commending them what they're doing well and, and warning them in certain areas. So Jesus reveals himself to be the one true fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. He is the truth. He is the word. He is the true prophet. He he reveals himself to be a king. He reveals himself to be a king. We can look at the end of verse uh, or middle of verse one. Who holds the seven stars in his right hand? Well, we know from what we read in, in chapter one that those seven stars are angels. They're the angels of the seven churches. They're the angels of the seven churches. Now, some commentators will say. They will say that that's symbolic of maybe a messenger that came from the church or even possibly the pastors of those seven churches. I talked to Joe this week. We're on the same page with this. I believe that these are real angels. We know from Hebrews that angels are ministers of God. They are active in the lives of God's people. And so I believe that these are real angels that Jesus is holding in his hand, revealing himself to be sovereign over even the angels. I want to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses really quickly here. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We have a picture here and in the book of Hebrews of Jesus sovereignly upholding the universe. He reveals himself to be a king. He also reveals himself to be near to his people. The end of verse 1 who walks among the lampstands. Jesus walks among his churches. He is active among his churches. He walks among us. He, this harkens back to, to Emmanuel, God with us. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our Lord, our God, our Savior Jesus, he is near to us. He is near to his churches. He walks among them. He walks among them. Jesus, last last way he reveals himself, beginning of verse 2, he reveals that he has a vested interest in all of the works and deeds of his bride. He has a vested interest in all of the works and deeds of his bride. We see that. The beginning of uh, verse two, I know your works. I know everything. That's comforting, and it's also scary, too, right? That he knows every work and deed of every one of his churches. He is, he is invested and vested in every one of his churches. We don't have a Savior that is just sitting in heaven eating popcorn and watching things unfold. We have a Savior that is active and that is invested in the life of his bride. He's invested in the life of his bride. That, that brings us back, that brings my mind back to, well, well why, why, what is his investment in his bride? That, rem- that reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. We, we have, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word God so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's why Jesus is invested in his church. He purchased her with his own blood. He purchased her with his own blood, and he is sanctifying her. He is making her more like himself. He is purifying her. Jesus reveals he knows her works because he has a vested interest in his bride. Jesus reveals himself to be a prophet, a king near to his people, and that he is invested and has a vested interest in the works of his bride. Jesus is invested everything. He came and lived a perfect life that we could never live, and he gave that perfect life for us, So that we may have the forgiveness of our sins. And he overcame. That's going to be a theme. He overcame sin and death on our behalf. That's why he is vested in the works and deeds of his church. Point number two. What does Jesus tell the church about what they're doing well? What does he talk to this church about? What are they doing well? What does he commend them for? I want to direct your attention to verses two, three, and six. I know your works, Jesus says, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Yet this you have, verse six. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So we see at the beginning of verse 2, he talks about their toil, their hard work. This is a a hard-working church. They they don't just come in on Sunday mornings and sneak out the back and then never come back in and do do anything to serve the church. I know here at Four Points we have nobody that's like that. We have no one here that's like that, okay? But this this is the church of Ephesus. They are a hard-working church. They are not, as Brent would say, they are not scared to put their hand to the plow and do gospel work. They are not not afraid to do that. They are hard-working. They are hard-working. The second thing he tells them, you... Cannot bear with those who are evil. You cannot bear with those who are evil. They don't tolerate evil. They don't tolerate sin. They don't tolerate it. We don't really know exactly what this evil is. That, that, that they speak of that, that Jesus is talking about here. But we do know that, there, that this society in Ephesus is a pagan society. It is a pagan society with witchcraft and sorcery and worshiping at the god, uh, the temple of Artemis or Diana. And, and, and involved with that comes uh, temple prostitution and sexual immorality. So we, we, we don't know. We don't don't know if it's the witchcraft, the occultic practices. We don't know exactly what the evil is. We just know Jesus commends this church because they have nothing to do with it. He commends this church because they have nothing to do with it. Even I I think back to Acts chapter 19, when, when Paul comes back to the church in Ephesus. He comes back on his missionary journey to the church in Ephesus. People are believing the gospel and they're coming out of this occultic practices, and they're bur- they burn their witchcraft books in the middle of the city. They have nothing to do with evil. Paul, I mean, G- G- Jesus continues. He says to them in, at the end of verse 2, You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Jesus commends them for their solid doctrine. He commends them because they are solid theologically. Amen. We love love good theology, right? We love good theology. But that can only get us so far. We know that this is a theologically sound church because of who taught there, right? In the the church in, in Corinth, Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, And he taught them, and he felt so comfortable with them as teachers, he left them in Ephesus to plant the church. And they ran into Apollos. He was there. He was a man who knew the scriptures, Acts 18 tells us. He was a man who knew the scriptures. Who was, he was charismatic. He was not afraid to preach the word. This, this church had great teachers. Paul comes back, stays there for two and a half years. He's teaching there. Timothy is a pastor there. Paul writes first and second Timothy to him pastoring there. The very apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, Apostle John, he spent time in Ephesus. This church is theologically sound. They had the best teachers around they had the best teachers around. Next, finally, he he commends them for enduring persecution. Look at verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. You have not grown weary. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that I just picture the culture around this church and the idolatry and the paganism and the sexual immorality. I just picture all of that squeezing in on this church and they are standing strong for the name of Jesus. They are standing strong for his name. This is why... Brent reminded us from Ephesians chapter 6 last week that we are in a war. When Christians believe that we are in peacetime, we will be overcome by the enemy. We have to put on God's armor Every single day, we are in a daily battle just like this church was. And if we want Jesus to look at us and say, I know you're enduring. I see your perseverance for my name's sake. We cannot do that on our own. We must gird ourselves and protect ourselves with God's armor. With God's armor. How are we doing in all of these areas? These are, these are all good things, right? These are all the positive things that Jesus commends this church for. How are we doing? How are you doing individually in these areas? So far, so good, right? Got good news. Everything's good news so far. And then there's that little three-letter word that we see All over scripture. Sometimes it's a good and sometimes it's a bad. We like good butts. This is not a good but. This is not a good but. Verse 4 But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You're doing well. Working hard, you're hating evil. Calling the heretics out. You're enduring, but you've lost your love. You've lost your love. It's real. It's a a simple statement. You've abandoned your love that you had at first. For those of you I don't know, I'm a football coach. I'm sure you can't tell by the way I yell and scream and all my antics, but I'm a football coach, and and, and I've been at the same school going into my eighth season now, and three seasons in, the coach that hired me, he left and took a job in Texas, and we brought in this guy, and uh, it was a little questionable, and uh, he ended up just being there for two months and left the team before the season started. And... Uh, Another man that we had hired to come be our offensive line coach, he took over the head coaching job. He's still a head coach right now. We had two weeks to prepare for our first game. Brand new offense we put in, two weeks to prepare for our first game. We went 0-10 that year. 0-10. I'm going to tell you something. When you go 0-5... 0 oh, 6, 0 oh, 7, 0 oh, 8. You find out who really loves football. You find out who loves football. Who's, who's playing football because they love it? Not because they're going to get something out of it, not because they want fame or they want to make it to college. We ain't, we, ain't got, we don't have many guys going to college to play football. You find out when you're 0 oh, 8, 9, you find out in those practices who really loves football. I'm going to tell you, we had three or four guys, we found out they didn't love football. They weren't playing for the love of the game. And what happens when, what, what happens when, when someone doesn't love football? Or what, what happens? Everything becomes a chore. Everything just becomes... You're going through the motions. You're in practice. You're just trying to get done with it. You're just trying to make it through. Just holding on. And it impacts the whole team. It impacts the whole team when that happens. This is where the church in Ephesus is. They're going through the motions. They've lost their love for Jesus. So I have four questions that I think Jesus would would ask this church and I want to ask us today you're working hard the word toil literally means to exhaustion you're working yourself to death great he says it's a good thing to work hard he tells them it's a good thing but do you have any joy in your life? You're rejecting evil. You hate, you abhor evil. That's awesome. It's a good thing. Jesus tells them it's a good thing. But are you praying for those people who are committing those evil things? Are you applying, are we preaching the gospel to those people so that they can be freed of the evil that they're doing? Or are we just You're evil. You're doing doing evil things. Get away. Get away. You have excellent theology. That's a good thing. We're four points. We have great theology here. It's fantastic to have good theology. He tells them it's a good thing. But those who have errant theologies, those who are not orthodox, are we coming alongside of them to speak truth from God's word in love, or are we just calling them heretics and kicking them out of the kingdom? You're enduring a godless society that's persecuting you. That's a good thing. He tells them it's a good thing. But are you enduring that because of the example that Christ gave when he suffered in your place? Is that why? Or are you just white-knuckling it, trying your hardest to just hang on in your own strength? Because if that's the case, if, if, if the latter is the case for any of us, we will not be able to stand. We will not be able to stand. See, if you read all seven letters to these seven churches... Ephesus is the first one, and they get progressively worse. The warnings and the sin gets progressively worse. This is so gracious of Jesus to come to his church right now because he comes to the church in Sardis, and he says to the church in Sardis, you look alive, but you're dead. How did they get there? started because they lost their first love. That's how they got there. And then it progressed from there. There's a dead church. Jesus tells them they're dead. But it started back right here when they abandoned the love that they had at first. When they abandoned the love that they had at first. Listen, there are churches all over this country that begin to abandon their first love and then a little of the world creeps in and a little bit more of the world creeps in. And five, 10 years down the road, it's not even a Christian church anymore. It's not even even a real Christian church. We have entire denominations in this country that have apostatized and it began with them losing their first love. You're like, "Oh, it's just one warning and it's you know, it's not really that bad." It's where it starts. It starts when you lose your love for Jesus. It starts when we lose our love for our savior. This is a heavy warning. I pray that we hear it. I have wrestled with it. It's a severe warning. Point number four: What is the remedy to the issue? What does Jesus tell them the remedy to their problem is? What is the remedy to the problem? It's like a cool thing to like have like three R's or something, right? So, um, so I have three R's, okay. <laughs> Remember, verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Remember, repent, and return to the works that you did at first. Remember, repent, return. Remember, where, therefore, from where you have fallen, the, this idea of remembering it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In any time Israel would become apostate when they would start worshiping idols, God would come to them th- through a judge or or th- through a, a prophet, and he would say to his to his people, he would say, "Remember, I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt." Remember, I was the one who provided for you in the wilderness. Remember, remember, remember. Jesus tells this church right here in Ephesus remember when you first. Followed Christ. Remember when you turned from your idols to the one true God. Remember when you burned your witchcraft books and sorcery books in the middle of the city. Remember when the gospel spread to all of Asia Minor because of your zeal for the gospel. All seven of these churches had the gospel because it exploded out of Ephesus. That was the hub. That was the place. Ephesus, man, whew. They came flying out of the gates. F- flying out of the gates. Evangelism, I mean, it was unbelievable. Jesus tells them, you have to remember. You have to remember. Repent. Seems simple, right? Seems simple. Repent. Just, just stop doing it, right? Turn back to Jesus, right? Remind each other, preach the gospel to yourself. We should all be doing that every day. We need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to return. Return to the works you did at first. What are these works? return to your zeal for evangelism that you had when you were first when the lord first saved you I, I think i think most christians that was my experience i remember when the lord saved me man i was like ready to go man you know i wanted to tell everybody about jesus i wanted everybody i wanted everybody to know about jesus return what's return when your heart was on fire for jesus Returned. Return, Ephesians 4, return to using your gifts for the building up of the body and the strengthening of the church. Return to when you were preaching the gospel, you were evangelizing, and you were building up the body. Return to those works. The warning, if they do not, is severe. What is the result if they do not do these things? I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Some commentaries wanted to say that this was like, because of some archaeological things uh, in Ephesus, some, some commentaries wanted to say, well, this is just, this is just Jesus saying, hey, we're going to take your church and we're just going to put it over in a different location. I'm sorry. That's not what the context, that's not what the text is saying. Yes, there are archaeological things in Ephesus that are interesting. That is true. That is true. But what he's saying to this church is, I will remove my special grace from you. I will remove the lifeblood, the Holy Spirit. I will remove my spirit from the church. It will become a lifeless church. And it will fade into, as Mike Tyson will say, it will just fade into Bolivian. He's saying he will put the life out of the church. And he did. Go to Ephesus today, it's in ruins. He did. He put their lampstand out. Ignatius of Antioch, early 2nd century, wrote that initially they may have initially repented. There There may have been an initial heed to the warning here, but ultimately Jesus did in the end. He did put out their lampstand. Verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't really know a lot about the Nicolaitans. They could have been involved in the temple prostitution uh, with the with the the uh, temple of Diana it, they they're definitely somewhat of an antinomian group licentious very free sexually very uh, you know do whatever you want do what you feel you know kind of kind of group but some people some commentators said that they did it out of under the guise of tolerance they did it under the guise of loving people. You do whatever you want. It's okay. We'll, we'll tolerate you. That's dangerous. That is very dangerous. It's, it's all in our world right now. One thing, last thing I want to say about verse 6 is, I've heard this said... Even in Christian circles, oh, well, man, God was just so, such an angry God in the Old Testament. And, you know, he's just, oh, love, 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 and grace in the New Testament. That's called Marcionism, and that's heresy. God is unchanging. He does not change. He is immutable. His character, his nature has never changed, it never will change. To say that God was different in the Old Testament and the New Testament is wrong. Jesus just loves everyone. No, he doesn't. He hates the Nicolaitans. He just said it, right? We we have to be honest about God and wickedness. God hates evil. He cannot stand it. He does not tolerate it. Go to Psalm chapter 5, read verses 4 through 6 sometime. God hates the evildoer. We have to be honest about that. Jesus is God, and he abhors evil. He cannot stand wickedness. He hates the Nicolaitans because of their wickedness. Verse 7. First part of the verse He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By the grace of God, we have been born again of the Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, we are united in Christ by the Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, we have ears to hear because of the Holy Spirit. Church, this morning we must hear what Jesus is saying to this church. We have ears to hear. We need to heed these warnings. We need to pursue what he says is good, and we need to abhor evil. We need to, uh, we need to come back to our first love. We can work our tails off. We can work our fannies off. We can hate evil. We can have great theology. We can stand up for the sake of Christ. We can do all those things. Would you pull, please, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 up. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Apart from love, working hard, hating evil, having good theology, Enduring for Christ's name is empty religion. May everything, church, that we do be from a deep, deep love of the Lord Jesus. Number five, last point. What is the glorious promise that Jesus gives to this church and every church All seven letters have this promise at the end of the letters. All seven letters to the churches have this promise. End of verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What an amazing promise! to eat of the tree of life that Adam and Eve did not get to eat of because of their sin. We, I don't know if they meant to do this or not. Who the heck knows? I don't. But the first two songs that we sang today were about overcoming we're about conquering. That's what's required for us to eat of the tree of life in God's paradise. That's what's required is to overcome. So how do we do that? How do we overcome? Do we, is, that just, is that just a, you know, here's seven steps to living a better life. Do these five things and... I want to read from 1 John. Same apostle who re- wrote this letter of revelation. 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 5. I want to look at verses 4 and 5. For everyone who, uh, who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, how we overcome is we believe in Jesus. We believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus is God and that he came and added to himself a human nature, living a perfect life life of obedience in that human flesh that we could never have done. And he laid down that perfect life on the cross, dying a death that belonged to a criminal. You and I are the criminals. We deserved that. We deserve death. And then he overcame the grave. He overcame sin. He overcame the grave. The way that we overcome is we believe in Jesus. That we love him. And that we follow him. And that we trust with everything that we have in Christ. That is how we get to eat of the tree of life is believing and trusting in Jesus. I want, to re- I want to be reminded, the title of the series is The New Humanity. So I want to go take us back to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2. To remind us. Because we started this series like five months ago, right? (laughs) And then this whatever thing happened. Craziness. What it is. I tell you. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 13 to the end of the chapter. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, your word, it pierces us the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. I pray that your spirit would continue to wield the sword of your word, even as we leave from here this day and go throughout our week, Lord, that, that your spirit would carve the hardness away from our hearts and would draw us back to our first love, the Lord Jesus we repent, we confess that we have not loved him as we ought. We confess that there have been times where we have just been doing empty religion. May we take heed from this church that Jesus spoke to this morning. May we hear what you said to them. May it continue to resonate and change our hearts by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Go in peace.